What is it like to work for a statistical consulting company? What are some common paths for statisticians to take in a consulting company? What are some important skills needed for statistical consultants? Grace Xu will answer all these questions for you. Grace got her master's degree in statistics from Simon Fraser University, and currently is working in Cytel as an associate director and research principal. She has a lot of experience in developing and presenting advanced statistical methods to both statistical and non-statistical audience, and has supported a lot of submissions to HTAs and other regulatory bodies. Let's dive into this episode and see what Grace has shared with us. Welcome, Grace, to Bell Statistics Podcast. It's great to have you with us here. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I was I was really surprised and and quite flattered that uh, my manager, I think, or one of my managers that you reached out to, Paul Aurora, had passed this opportunity on to me. And um, I'm flattered that that you would think I have anything to contribute. Of course, I mean anything is valuable insight, right? So, um, with that being said, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in Bell Statistics? Uh, so my answer is not going to be, I think, terribly useful, but perhaps is a bit more realistic in that I, I wasn't at all throughout school, um, be it through undergrad or through grad school. Um, it was a complete accident that I landed in biostatistics consulting. Um, and I was and I, that was just due to being completely unaware of the options that were out there. I mean, in fact, I had to correct some misconceptions that I had as well. So consulting, I think, is something that you are exposed to quite early on if you're in statistics, um, which I started out in pure math in undergrad and then having realized that I probably was not going to be making waves in the mathematical community. I, I did all right, but that's all I can claim to. Um, I think very naturally made the transition towards statistics, found that I quite liked it. Um, but I was told these horror stories from, you know, my, my grad seniors and, and other PhD students about, you know, either themselves personally or their friends who were working in biostatistics, at least in Vancouver, um, in which they had the most common job it seemed it seemed to be was in hospitals at that time in which you're working as a statistician and the kind of work that you do there tended to be again very quite traditional statistics in the sense that it was a lot of sort of running hypothesis tests things like that and the scariest part of that was that the pay did not seem to make the living wage cut was on contract, no benefits. And hearing horror stories like that, um, the sort of practical side of me, which which I too try to indulge and listen to, um, just, it was absolutely terrifying, right? You can't, you can't, even back then, Vancouver, you cannot, you cannot be having like a below 40,000 a year contract job and feel any kind of secure. So starting from undergrad, I had this misconception. I knew consulting was a thing and in fact really enjoyed it. So going into grad school, I had wanted a a chance to understand whether I wanted to stay in academia because it was a very real possibility for me to want to do a doctorate degree. Um, But I was very, very interested in consulting, having had exposure to it in undergrad already. And I continued to like it a lot in grad school as well. Um, So the industry possibility was always something of interest, but the biostats side, absolutely not. So I ended up taking zero biostats courses, actively avoided it, actively found a supervisor who also did not do any of that. Um, And it only happened by chance that uh, one of his past PhD students um, had a job posting circulating around the department. And she was in, you know, she was 
looking for people to join her workplace. She's working in biostats. Um, and she described, you know, in the brief description, I remember she was talking about simulation and adaptive trials. And firstly, that was of interest because it felt like something fresh and new, certainly not the kind of scary situation I'd heard about um, and was scared of. And also this particular student, I'd studied her work before. I really trusted my, you know, my supervisor's judgment in student as well, or I hope so at least that, or that'd be shooting myself in the foot. Um, but knowing that and having studied her work, I knew she this this student would not have this past student would not have indulged like a job that was not kind of cool or kind of interesting. So that's how I landed in biostats consulting by accident. But it wasn't by any means an active entry into the field at all. I see. Well, I guess I was in a similar position where I didn't know much about biostats, so I had a lot of misconceptions. So hopefully, this podcast could bring people some different insights, perspectives. So they know the industry better. Um, so you've been working in stats, biostats consulting for a while. So can you tell us about any exciting projects or initiatives you, you've worked on or currently work on in the field of biostatistics? For sure, for sure. Um, and yeah, I'd like to say that I'm so glad you're doing this because some I would have greatly benefited. And I wonder if a lot of my classmates would have as well, because this this information just wasn't knowledge of this industry was just not available really at all. You know, we had really lovely biostatistics statistics professors and I've heard you know good things about the classes, but in terms of how they're truly used and applied, um, <clears throat> I really didn't have, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I really didn't have any kind of a strong idea of um, what that would entail. Thank you, thank you. That's great to hear. <clears throat> I'm so sorry about that. My voice is starting to go already by, by oh my gosh, before 12 on a Friday. Um, so <laughs> interesting projects. So I work a lot in the real world evidence space. So what that really just translates into is I work with a lot of observational data, not just clinical trial data. Um, the company that I work for um, does biostatistics consulting, but there's several different departments. And the one I, I'm in, is very geared towards very specifically this, this space here. Um, and then narrowing down a little further, more recently, I've been doing a lot of work in comparative effectiveness um, using observational data or real world data as we call it and supporting sort of formal submissions, whether it's for to regulatory or um, health technology assessments. Um, and what that really means is, for example, adding indications, adding labeling, and you know, going to these various countries and saying, hey, my drug is great, or it's better than these drugs that you currently have, or it's great in this particular line of treatment. Um, and so a lot of the time, the motivation comes from, it's very practical, that's what I enjoy about it, is that you, know, you have, of course, the gold standard still these days being a head-to-head -head randomized clinical trial, but that's just not practical practical from a from a you know monetary standpoint or even for drugs even existing out there or if you're talking about rare diseases where you have a very small available size population to work with you cannot make all the comparisons that you need and that's where the observational data comes in um, I, I really think that it's an area where even if you don't like it you're gonna have to work with it so that just that basic kind of setup for it makes it really enjoyable for me. Um, so what that translates into, though, is, of course, with observational data, you're going to have a lot of problems with it, a lot of imperfections. 
um, such as missing data or variables being unmeasured or mismeasured. And so in terms of the initiatives and projects that I'm working on, a particular interest um, are in quantitative bias analysis in which we that, that translates into taking a look at these different kinds of imperfections, these different kinds of problems that can lead to biased effect estimates or any you know of these sources that can be that can cause bias in your study conclusions, um, looking at a way to quantify this effect um, in order for decision makers and of course the researchers to be able to really understand how they these imperfections can affect their study in a much more uh, systematic and a much more sort of nuanced way. You know, previous you know, as statisticians, I think it's a uh, we all agree that, you know, for something like the p-value, it's, it's terrible, right? It makes everything a binary decision. It collapses down so much of the information that you have about, you know, is it, is there a problem with the power? Is it that the sample size wasn't sufficient? Is this a, you know, the, 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 the truth behind um, whether something is, a treatment is working well or not, it's just terrible when you collapse it down that way. And similarly, when you think about bias, okay, you have some missing data here. It's terrible to say, okay, because of this missing data, this is either a this treatment is either good or bad. Um, quantitative bias analysis allows us to look at how it affects your study conclusions on a spectrum, um, and that to me again is an incredible, as you can imagine, pragmatic aspect of the RWE space, um, and why I think it's a uh, both really interesting and just really practical. I see. Thank you. Um, so I guess. I did forget to ask about what your daily work is like exactly before we talk about your projects. So can you tell us a bit more about real world evidence and then how, um, are you okay? <laughs> Take your time. Sorry, I just inhaled water down the, down the wrong windpipe. <laughs> are, you, uh, are you feeling better now? Oh yeah, no worries, no worries. Yeah, so I guess uh, my question was, can you walk us through your day at your job and um, what exactly is real world evidence? And other than, I guess, the reasons you stated before, why do you think it's really, really important for a biostats field? Sure, so a typical day for me, um, so being on, based on the West Coast um, and my company, and I think very co common for biostatistics consulting these days, even pre-COVID, um, it's it's quite international. So I have colleagues, you know, in on the same West Coast uh, as myself on the East Coast, as well as in Europe, um, and we have some of our colleagues even all the way in India as well, and apparently someone in, in Australia um, these days. So because of that, uh, because of my positioning in time zones, most of my morning is is calls and meetings, um, and they're of course, virtual by necessity. Um, and then in the afternoons is when I tend to go into the office. So what this means is it's a it's a hybrid situation um, that I have here. And that is one of the things that I really enjoy about having uh, about this particular job is that sort of flexibility there. So I'm able to take my calls at home because, again, I mean, it may, I could go into the office, but it makes no sense because I'd be shut up in an individual room taking my calls anyway. I will say that this this kind of uh, day is not very reflective of how my day used to look like um, when I was in a purely technical role. Uh, back then, I would have a much fewer calls and be just you know be much more focused on, um, of course, the implement implementation in in R, which is what we uh, what our department uses for our work. I see. So you're saying you switch from the technical role to right now the more communication centered role, and so. 
Yeah. So, so I think, uh, again, I can't, I can't at all speak for all biostatistics consulting. Um, but one of the advantages of our company, and I, I swear no one is paying me anything to say it, but I think one of the strongest part, points about our company is that it does allow flexibility in terms of that role shift, I would say, in the sense that, I, you know, eventually one day you're going to have to make a, make a choice. And of course, I'm coming from the perspective of a statistician who started out purely technical, um, you have the choice of having more of a client-facing role, being involved more um, on the business development side um, and project management side of things, um, if that is of interest for you as you go along. Um, so currently I'm still occupying, I'm sort of have a, a foot straddling both sides uh, because mm -hmm. I do really enjoy um, still being more deeply involved in projects. But on the other hand, I really, I, I found very, very early actually within the first month really of joining uh, my company, which I was very lucky to join a super, super small consulting group at the time. So not my current company. And um, the advantage of that is it was a very flat hierarchy and I got exposure to the different kind of roles a lot more just by necessity because <laughs> there were only so many people there. And I found yeah. within the first month and I wonder if it's similar for other people in the space that, oh, actually I am, I have a lot of interest in the sort of client facing side of things as well as, you know, still having a foot in the technical side. So I think it's a, a big benefit to be able to bring that into um, the project management um, and the, you know, business development side as well. I see, that's very interesting. Um, I guess, can you tell me, tell us a little bit more about what are some possible roles for st statisticians in a consulting company? For sure, so um, for, these days, you're starting to see more and more real world evidence departments. So to loop back and answer your question a little bit more, to expand on that, I think I'm not the only one who sees the value of real world evidence. And it, it, again, it, it's not just even the value, it's that at some point you're not gonna have a choice, right? Especially in rare diseases, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. uh, and in those case, and because of that, you're starting to see a lot of big pharma start to st have their own dedicated RWE departments as well, not just in consulting. Um, and so that I think is a signal, right, that this is going to at least continue on. I mean, I don't know how much expansion there will be, but at the very least, I don't think it's going anywhere at all, at, um, at least from, from what I could tell. Mm -hmm. uh, and in so what does that mean for roles? At the very least for RWE, um, I know that, you know, for many, many, many years, um, sort of the industry standard was SAS. Uh, first of all, I have a lot of I, I'm very biased against it. I think it's a it's a horrible language to work with. I, in fairness, I'm I'm not at all experienced in it, but I've seen the code. I have a vague sense of how it works. I I, I absolutely hate it, and I think it's it's for RWE specifically, it's not good for that because you can imagine working with observational data, you have a lot of data wrangling involved, and that's actually a huge proportion of it. So for RWE specifically, if you have any interest in what I described, you uh the the R is a sort of key component to that. And all of us statisticians have some under, like have to be some, have some level of strength in that. Um, so with a statistical path, you start out generally um, in, a, in a quite technical capacity. Um, and that is at, usually at the research associate or research consultant level. Now these titles are generally transferable-ish across companies. Th there might be slight adjustments, but those are the sort of entry and then the next level up positions. Once you start getting into a senior research consultant or a senior statistician stage, that's when you might, you certainly 
will have a hand still in the technical implementation, but you'll do much less of the data wrangling and, and such because that will you'll be supported by the research consultants on that. You'll be uh, starting to do a lot more of the design, so protocol design and the real methods and statistics and those decisions um, will, be, will be then made by the senior statistician. Once you move above there, that is commonly where a split or more of a split will occur when you will be either choosing more to more go choosing to go more toward the management slash client facing slash business development uh, role, or you might con continue on and say, look, I still really want to stay technical. I have a lot of interest in the statistics um, and I want that to be most of my job. Then you move up to become a research principal and senior research principal. And at that point, I think it becomes quite interesting. You almost become a consultant for consultants. And I and it's absolutely crucial for, I think, all strong consultant departments to have a few of those people. And their value then becomes often they're not just stuck on, you know, two or three projects, which I think is the most that as an SRC that I could handle at once before my brain would explode. Um, but as a research principal or a senior research principal, um, you might be consulted by a lot of uh, different you know, project managers or statisticians on those projects for particularly complex or tricky questions that they're unsure of. Um, and of course, sometimes they will still occupy a big role on a project, uh, but that's how generally speaking that a statistician can enter or work in a consulting space. I see. That's very interesting. Thank you for telling us more about the consulting industry. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I, the thing is, right, there's other areas in biostats consulting that I'm much less familiar with. So for there's a something called functional services programming or FSP or something. Clearly, mm -hmm. I not have strong knowledge here, but FS, an FSP department is very common. And in short, what that is, is you're a statistician that is often attached very strongly to a particular client. And so you're almost like a statistician for hire and you work more with their team um, mm -hmm. than you almost would with the colleagues within your department, um, which brings me to the, I think that distinction there is in RWE, or at least I found in ours, I really enjoy the sort of team camaraderie and how much I get to work with my colleagues uh, mm -hmm. from to project. So there's a bit of a distinction there for FS, if you're an FSB statistician, again, you tend to be, um, it's like a statistician for higher situation. Of course, there's also clinical trial uh, programming work that you can do. Um, that is that is working a lot with SAS. You, you can't get away just because of um, certain standards. Uh, and I, in fairness, I think it is very suited for clinical trial data. That is when if you enjoy SAS programming, you really enjoy working with clinical trial data, you can be a SAS programmer as well. Uh, in, in, in in and work with clinical trials. Right, that's fair. That's a very, very nice uh, overview for all the possible jobs. Um, so how do you think the consultant industry, I guess specifically Biosets consulting industry will evolve in the coming years? And what are some new developments or innovations or tools do you see in the future? So not to beat a dead horse over and over again, but I think of course, real world evidence is where a lot of things are at. However, again, to use it properly and to have decision makers, so I'm talking regulators and HTA agencies to really start to trust and understand how it can be used to the best effect. And, and again, reliably, um, how to handle those data imperfections, how to handle all those sources of bias and reliability and interpretation and standards. All those things are, I think, on the forefront of what's going to be evolving in the coming years. Um, and aside, apart from that, and this is just my wild speculation, I think we're already starting to see things like natural language processing, um, the way data cleaning is handled, and just really the fundamentals of data collection and processing, I think, or rather I hope there will be a lot of evolution development. The reason being is to this day, I think 
what was a big surprise is to this day, it's, it's not great. A lot of um, existing data sets, there's a lot of problems with it. And I went on and on about, you know, oh, have be strong in R so that you can, and there's a lot of data cleaning involved. It's, yeah, that's often like most of a project, just getting that data in a state where it's analysis ready. So the hope is that if, you know, the, the, the back end of that um, improves, you know, that process of collection, how it's handled um, for, you know, at the data vendor step is is improved, then for us, the job becomes much easier as well. Um, and lastly, I think uh, the development, and this is more of a general concern than anything else, is sort of the misinformation and disinformation that I think might become rather a much bigger problem even than it might be right now, um, specifically in the sort of health sciences. So anything, you know, I think we are, we've all had that experience where we read like very legit reading, looking articles and you find that actually no, everything factually about that they claim are facts are not actually the case. It's poorly researched. There are problems with it. But as we all know, with ChatGBT and other similar systems, BARD and such, it's so, so easy, ridiculously easy to generate an article that seems so, so legitimate. And the scariest part is because, you know, we, myself and my colleagues have played around with it just to, to see the extent to which it can be used. The scariest part is it will make up references. And I think people know that, right? People know that it's not actually, it doesn't check facts, but it will make up very convincing things um, that might be based on fact or might be completely incorrect. And I can imagine people, whether knowingly or unknowingly, just taking advantage of the system. And, and because it's so easy to do so now, you can generate like a blog with 200 posts of absolute nonsense, you know, within days. And that's, that's I think, quite scary to think about. Right. But I guess other than it being the risk, how do you see the industry will deal with this problem? I have no answers for how to deal with the problem. <laughs> on the flip That's side, yeah, on the flip side for the positive, though, I will say that um, it's th systems like ChatGPT and BART are incredibly useful for very... Um, for, for labor, for very lab laborious tasks. So what I mean is, I think if you give it the parameters that, that like very clear parameters and ask it to do something like, oh, rewrite this thing in a way or change this, these blocks of text into bullet points, you know, tasks like that, which I think, you know, existed before already, but it's now much, much even easier with, with ChatGPT and BARD. Um, th those are the positive ways that it can help specifically, at least in consulting and imagine in a bunch of other fields as well. I guess it kind of brings up the, you kind of brought up a similar point to Tim Disher that interviewed before, who was also in a consulting, a consulting company called Eversano. And then he talked about how these um, gener generative AI tools will change the workflows for consultancy. And I think that's very interesting and important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I completely, I hundred percent agree. I mean, even little things, right? Like, okay, we had to pull a description from, from somewhere, but obviously we can't plagiarize, you know, before it would be annoyingly, someone would have to just rewrite it and it takes time, right? It might be five, 10 minutes, but all of that adds up. Now you can just make any of these generative AIs rewrite it. And because you know, you, know, you have the facts, so you can, you still have to check it, but it still shortens the time for things like that. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, and I guess my next question is, Biostats is a very collaborative field and you must have crossed paths with a lot of individuals in the workplace. And then, of course, as a consultant, you work with a lot of uh, on a lot of communication side. So what are some skills and traits of an individual that make you think that's the kind of person you want to work with? Uh, so this is a subject near and dear to my heart, especially when I started to um, to, to, to participate in hiring as well, because I think 
before, you know, I had some of these ideas, but some of them, some traits really stood out when I was the one who had to conduct the interviews and make decisions about, is this candidate someone we'd want on our team? Um, so generally speaking, I think, you know, I've been talking a lot about the perspective from a statistician and from a technical perspective, because that is where I come from. And I, I don't want to, you know, pass on uh, misinformation myself. Uh, but mm -hmm. another very, very key component, though, of Biostats Consulting is our epidemiologists. Because my God, like if you asked me to, to do the epi portion or like the clinical context, it will be the first 20, the first 20 results of Google. So that is not what you want. We have fortunately epidemiologists who can who can take that on but specific subject matter aside the sort of soft skills i think are incredibly important for consulting whether you're in a technical capacity or in a more client facing or project management capacity i mean you can say the quantities that you would need maybe are, are a little less or more but at the very basic level the the ability and i think the liking speaking to your colleagues quite a lot um mm -hmm pretty much on a daily basis is, is a must. If you're someone who prefers, you know, quiet environment to work by yourself, I, I would say really consider whether the consulting, biostats consulting is for you or maybe even consulting in general, because you're going to be speaking with your colleagues a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say the ability to be um, quite quite fast in reacting to changes to situation and the ability to handle uncertainty. I think one of the most common things that we run into is, you know, when someone who's fresh out of freshly graduated, and it was the same for myself, you know, entering, and then you were just shocked by things like, oh my gosh, it really seems like the client does not know what they want, or oh my gosh, like they, we just decided that this was just signed in ink, uh, contracted project, and now someone's changed their mind and everything has to change. You have a new proposal, new new everything, new scope and things like that. If you're not comfortable in, with working with that kind of scenario, which it doesn't happen for every project, certainly, but it happens often enough that if this is distressing to you, that's not something that we want. Um, and I think I can speak for my colleagues as well, where when we interview someone, at least in our department, we really value um, trying to picture, hey, in this conversation that we're having, can we can we see can we see you as someone that we want to work with um, on a daily basis? Because, again, you're going to be spending a lot of time with these people and it's not going to be fun for anyone if it seems like it's not the best fit on on both sides. So it's an interview on both sides, right, where, where they have to like us as much as we like them um, and little things. Oh my gosh, little things that I would I think are is a very important trait is that it's even as a statistician, you cannot just be good. You can be the most amazing theorist, you can be the most amazing at R, at coding, at wrangling, at everything. But if you cannot do things like um like properly format a Word document or PowerPoint, I know it sounds silly. Everyone says that they can do it. And at a basic level, yes, they can. But things like internal references in Word, having like a nice, you know, navigation structure in your sections, you know, fixing weird formatting changes, you spend a weirdly high, well, not weird at all, I suppose, but a, a very unfortunately high proportion of your time in Microsoft Suite. So better be good at that. It can be, it will be, you can pick it up, of course, during the job, but it's a, if you have that already, it can only help. I see. Thank you. I guess now we're talking about what employers are looking for um, when they're hiring people. So in terms mm -hmm. of that, for students who wish to develop a career in biostatistics, what kind of advice do you want to give them? 
Um, I would say that uh, it, just touching briefly on the subject matter again is for one thing, I think it's not just, oh, you have you, you must have a background, a formal academic background in epidemiology and stat or statistics. And those are the only ways to enter the biostats consulting. That's not the case at all. Um, of course, if you're in business and you would like to do the sales side, that's that's one way to do it. But I would say, for example, some, you know, one of my colleagues has worked in a hospital before um, and I forget his exact degree. I think it was biochemistry or something something like that. Um, and his that with his work in the hospital, um, it's just has to be vaguely relevant. And with that, that he brings an enormous amount of value in the in the experience that he's had working in a hospital setting and the understanding that he has, which is greater than most of us um, regarding some of like the molecules that that we work with for our projects. Um, and in terms of advice for someone who wants to enter, then get, having got the subject matter out of the way and assuming you have some kind of vaguely related skill set um, is I think first to consider um, what kind of biostats consulting you want. So I covered briefly the differences that I could see between, say, working in an RW department versus FSP um, versus, say, you know, clinical trial programming. Um, which one of those sounds the best to you? And then from there is then to consider, as a part of that, I think the lifestyle also is incredibly important, right? I think RWE to me and biostats consulting in general, um, you cannot expect a nine to five, strictly nine to five, turn everything off, very, very sort of regularized schedule to your to your work. Um, you're going to have to have at least a little bit of flexibility sometimes, whether it's to accommodate you know, other people's time zones, whether it's to accommodate a particular client or a particular project. Of course, there are limits to that and your employer should never be making you, you know, do excessive hours or like weird hours or anything to excess. And I think a good a good company and a good department will take into account, of course, your particular circumstances. Um, for example, a bunch of my colleagues have children, right? And and there are positives and negatives um, for working in biostats consulting. If you have children, that you need to you know have have a role in in, in their lives and taking care of them. Um, but that is lifestyle, I think, is a very key component of the decision as well. Having selected, you know, are you you're okay with the lifestyle? You've selected your department of interest or type of consulting of interest, then it's to think about the skill sets that you need. Again, some of them are gonna involve SAS programming, but if you're interested in RWE, then you can forget about that. I think I think it's safe to say um, R is what I would recommend. Um, and those kinds of just for the basic level, if you're especially if you're in stats and starting out, you know, straight out of school, um, I would say, yeah, that's the way to go. One thing I think is it's a question that I had is, do I need a doctorate degree? That was a big question that I had um, coming into this because, you know, and I've heard a lot of uh, you know slightly unpleasant things about oh you might not get the respect that you that you would like to have or even you know basic um, respect for the account of, amount of experience or or the value that you might bring to a project just because of your degree. I would say that based on a sample size of myself and a few of my colleagues, of course, is that I don't I haven't found that to be the case at all. Um, again, it was a huge concern for me, and I think. The pattern has been that, you know, generally speaking, the people that you end up working with are all very smart people and all almost universally quite nice people. And what that translates into is that you're people like that are not going to are going to judge the kind of experience that you have and not the degree that you have. And so at least in biostats consulting, even, you know, I think clinicians sometimes get the bad rap for really judging people who don't have a doctorate degree. Again, I have not found that to be the case. Of course, I could be speaking out of out of being someone who's been incredibly lucky, both in my department, 
whether it's from my colleagues or whether it's from the clients that I've worked with, I have not had that experience at all. So in fact, I would actually, having known, knowing that now, I would actually very much recommend if you're interested in biostats consulting and you already have a master's degree, um, go ahead, come out and work for a few years, see if you really like it, and then consider whether you want to pursue a doctorate degree. Um, the only time when I would say that a doctorate degree is an absolute must is if you plan to start your own business. That is one time when I think you, it's just unavoidable, that sort of judgment of uh, whether you have those three letters after your name. That is when I think it is important and mandatory to get some kind of doctorate. Um, but otherwise, if you are interested in consulting, again, a master's degree, I think, is, is something that is absolutely sufficient to be able to have a very nice job. Um, and I wouldn't say it's limiting either. That's the other thing. The other concern is, will that limit my progression in a company? I don't, I do not believe so because, and, and that's not what I've observed either, because again, it's very much based on your experience. I would actually say one, one interesting uh, consequence of having a doctorate is that you can sometimes have you know, very nice uh, candidate come up. They graduated from their PhD program, did wonderfully, did some kind of fancy research. But the problem is they have no experience in the thing that they're applying for. So it's a very awkward situation where, okay, well, we can't stick them in a research associate entry role because that's not commensurate with the kind of degree they're bringing in. But we also can't give them any actual work that's relevant to the role because they have no experience. So a lot of the time we, I run into a candidate like that and I can't hire them. In fact, they don't even make it to interview because that's just it's just such an awkward mismatch. Um, and in fact, uh, I would say if you're in a doctorate degree right now and you're interested in consulting, dear God, have some kind of programming, whether it's SAS, whether it's R, you've got to have something because we have had situations where we've had otherwise, you know, good candidates, but not having that coding ability is is really quite fatal. And if you don't pick it up quickly enough, it, it's a department cannot keep you because you're not able to perform such a fundamental uh, aspect of the, of the kind of work that we do. Thank you for sharing all the advice for whoever that wants to develop a career in biostats, especially in consulting. Um, mm -hmm. My last question is, what is one question you wish I, I'd asked and how would you have answered it? Um, I would say that the question that I think would have, would have been relevant is uh, what a long-term career looks like in biostats mm -hmm. consulting. So what do things look like further in the horizon? Um, so I touched on that very briefly about, you know, the different levels in, in the company. Again, they, they sort of vaguely translate across all biostats consulting, I would say. Um, but it, just the sort of general 10,000 feet view of the industry. And am I qualified to give this perspective? I, I'm actually, I, I don't know. So please take this with a grain of salt. Um, but at least what I've observed so far and what I think will make me stick around is I like how it feels like over the long term, it really seems like there's meaningful progression um, in terms of career and self-development. And what I mean is that because of the kind of variety of projects, at least in RWE uh, consulting that you have, I do always feel like that I am growing. Now, it's not like a sort of breakneck pace where every single project you have to pick up this new method and then this new skill and everything is new and it's like so stressful and exhausting. Certainly consulting can be exhausting, but it feels like a good pace of I'm getting to apply things that I'm experienced in versus I'm getting to learn new things. So, you know, I think games take advantage of that, right? The idea of, okay, how can we create meaningful progression? And I think that's one thing that the biostats consulting industry for me has been a, a great appeal. Um, over the long term, I can see myself still having that progression and there's so, so much to learn. Um, and that I think is a, is, is one, 
really appealing thing that I can I can say about it. The other part in the long term is that you will consistently, I think, make contacts. Um, and I don't mean that in this sort of slimy, oh, you're just talking for, to them for the sake of getting something out of them, for the sake of trying to land that contract or for the sake of, you know, to some extent, there's a little bit of that, you know, but it's a, it's mutual, right? It's friendly. It's not, it's not that way where just through your clients, through your colleagues, the way that the turnover seems to work in the company where there's a lot of movement back and forth, uh, whether it's, you know, you're being a boomerang, boomerang employee or whether it's it just by chance it happens that way, the transition between pharma and consulting there's a lot of flow back and forth I think there as well often a lot of our pharma clients oh you were in consulting for 14 years I see well the way we approach you is going to be very different then um you find you know my manager can't walk into a conference without without um without running into like a million people it seems that she that she knows and that that's really nice it feels like it feels like again a, a type of progression in a way too where it becomes a very very small world and you either like that or you don't now if you're a statistician specifically i think you already have a sense of what what i'm describing here where it feels like you just had to be a grad student for a couple years and you it feels like everyone knows someone to some extent or that supervisor was your supervisor student or they studied somewhere somewhere together or you know they they taught somewhere together or oh that student was the that student was supervised by so and so oh i actually worked with them for a summer um that it's it's like that actually in biostats consulting and in pharma i would i would actually smush those together um and i i actually really really enjoy that and then on an internal basis again if you're in rwe and not in some of the other departments i the one thing I value absolutely the most, um, both in the short term and the long term, is the kind of relationships that I'm building with my colleagues. I really, really, in my current role especially, I'm I'm kept here because I I enjoy working with them so much. I think the people that I surround myself with, you know, 40 plus hours a week, that's a that's a non-trivial consideration to me. And to know that even if some, you know, one day if we separate, go our separate ways, um, it, there's a very good chance we'll get to work together again. Um, and that that feels good. That feels good in the long run. And and that's a that's something I think is both in the short and long term horizon view of the field, something to consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing on both of, uh, I guess, technical jo job kind of uh perspective and the relationship with their colleagues and your major kind of perspective. Um, and thank you so much for sharing with us all your experience in your uh, in the consulting industry. It, it's so refreshing and we're happy to have you here again. Thank you. Thank you so much again for having me. I'll say that, you know, in, in our first talk, right, I really enjoyed hearing because uh, I don't, you know, the kind of people in pharma that I've spoken with before or been, been there for, for a good while or I don't really know what it is from that side. So it was, it was cool to hear how, how your experience has been has been there. Right. Of course. Awesome. Thank you again. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode.